Hello, and welcome to the CGS podcast with me, your host, Paul Harris. March has proven to be another busy month in Colombia and the Northern Andes as exploration interest continues to pick up. I'll be joined later on by my special guest, Ari Sussman, to talk about some of the exploration using trends this month. But first, on with the news highlights. In Ecuador, Sol Gold announced it will seek partners to explore up to 10 of its grassroots copper and gold exploration projects in order to focus its human and financial resources on its principal projects, including Alpala and Paul Veneer. Sol Gold has built an exploration portfolio of over 3,200 square kilometres in Ecuador over the past eight years and in one of the most prospective countries in the world for gold and copper porphyries. It was one of the big winners in the 2017 Exploration Concession Auction, which was the last time the country awarded exploration ground. With the Alpala deposit on its way, there is only so much we can do in Ecuador, and we want to focus our attention on our more advanced projects with large, consistent porphyry systems. We're looking to bring in partners on concessions that are the start of the exploration process, as we hope this will provide a quicker discovery timeline on grassroots projects and be value creative to Soul Gold shareholders. Interim CEO Keith Marshall told CGS. Also in Ecuador, Solaris Resources reported more long intervals of high-grade copper mineralization at its Warinza Central project, including 922 meters grading 0.79% copper, 0.03% molybdenum, and 0.08 grams per tonne gold. Continuing in Ecuador, Landine Gold began a 9,000-meter regional exploration drilling program at Barbasco and Puente Princesa, with the objective of finding another Fruta del Norte-style deposit. In Colombia, Gran Colombia Gold made an all-share offer to acquire Goldex Mining in a deal that values the company at $358 million. Gran Colombia already, already owns about 18% of Goldex and will pay $315 million for the remaining shares, which implies consideration of $4.10 per share, a 39% premium. Goldex's principal asset is the Toro Peru, gold project in Guyana. The June 29, 2019 PEA for Toro Peru outlined production of about 188,000 ounces a year for 24 years, following a $378 million capital investment. Grand Colombia acquired an, an initial 15% stake in Goldex, predecessor Sand Spring Resources, in June 2018. And when Guyana Goldfields came into play in May 2020, Grand Colombia proposed a $662 million three-way tie-up with Goldex and Guyana Goldfields. This was unsuccessful, however, and Guyana Goldfields was ultimately acquired by Zijin Mining. Grand Colombia's plan in 2020 was to send ore from Toro Peru, some 50 kilometers to Aurora, to save more than $200 million on infrastructure investment, as well as significant development timeline to bring Toro Peru into production. In Colombia, Los Cerros said drilling at its Chuscal target in Resurrecta intersected indications of two separate gold porphyry systems, including intercepts of 38 meters grading 1.14 grams per tonne. Minesa, having seen its application for an environmental license for its Soto Norte gold project in Santander, shelved by the ANLA National Environmental Licensing Authority, and CEO Santiago Angel Resign, the Mudabala-owned company has let go 150 employees in Santander. Sources in the Canadian capital market say Mubadala is looking for a partner to help take the project forward. 
presumably somebody with mine development and permitting experience. Colombian gold producer Mineros filed a preliminary prospectus for proposed IPO of shares for proceeds of $25 million and applied to list on the Toronto Stock Exchange as it seeks to buy out uh, Royal Road Resources interest in its in the Luna Roja project in Nicaragua for $22.5 million. In Guatemala, Bluestone Resources doubled the gold resource at its Cerro Blanco gold project with a game-changer optimized PEA, which doubles production to more than 200,000 ounces a year and triples its NPV to more than $900 million. The company now plans to do an open pit development rather than an underground mine development. A feasibility study is targeted for year-end. The PEA outlined average annual production of 218,000 ounces of gold and 936 ounces of silver over an an initial 11-mine year life, following an initial capital expenditure of $528 million. In Nicaragua, Calibre Mining announced a PFS for its Pavon open pit gold mine, which will feed its Libertad mill under its hub-and-spoke method. Pavon will produce 47,000 ounces a year for an initial four years as the company continues to develop the hub-and-spoke approach, which enables it to benefit from what it calls orphaned ore bodies that do not warrant the development of their own processing infrastructure. Also in Nicaragua, Condor Gold is to buy a new 2,300 tonne per day sag mill for its La India project from First Majestic Silver for $6.5 million, which will allow the company to produce an estimated 80 to 100,000 ounces a year. Okay, my guest today is Ari Sussman. Executive Chair of Collective Mining, a new company, still private, which is exploring for gold in Caldas, Colombia. Ari is better known for taking continental gold from a small gold junior to a more than a billion dollar buyout to Zhijian Mining in 2020, related to the high grade and multi-million ounce veridica deposit now mine in Antioquia here in Colombia. Welcome back to Colombia, Ari. Thanks for having me, Paul. Looking forward to talking. Tell us about uh, collective mining and why you've started a new code to explore for gold in Colombia. What's the plan? That's a simple, simple answer. You know, Colombia is is still the most accessible yet unexplored country in Latin America. And it's obvious, at least to our team, that it will, the growth potential for deposits in the country will eventually rival neighboring or near neighboring countries like uh, Peru, like Chile, um, Ecuador, etc. So we have the operating team, as you know, to do this, we have the, the probably the most know how, at least for exploration in, in the country, and we want to capitalize on that by by recapitalizing that by creating collective mining. Okay, so um... When the sort of initial exploration rush in Colombia happened sort of 10, 15 years ago, one of the, the first areas of interest was the middle Calca belt. And then when the, the broader mining sector changed from its desire to have these large, low-grade disseminated projects for, for smaller, higher-grade projects, you know, the middle Calca belt 
fell out of uh, you know, popularity or fell out of favour. Um, you're, you're in the middle Calca belt. So what, what influenced that, uh, that choice of project? It's completely untouched. Look, the initial rush of, of companies that came in followed a similar pattern that we see in every place, right? People happen to go where there is the most infrastructure for one, but also historical known deposits or showings or historical drill holes. And that's what the middle Calca belt brought. I mean, if you think of Colombia, a lot of it is, is still far too remote, you know, or, or security challenge to access, right? The middle Calca belt is generally safe. It's got great road infrastructure and power, et cetera. So that's why the rush was there, but it's still completely untapped. I know maybe hundred million ounces of gold has been found, you know, most of it not economic at this point, but there will be lots and lots more deposits found. Technology really hasn't even brushed the surface, so to speak yet of the middle Calca belt and lots to choose from and, and, and excitement to head. Okay, you took Britica through the whole cycle from discovery to resource definition, economic studies, financing, uh, putting it, you know, getting the construction going and an eventual sale. And that took, um, let's say, about 10 years. Um, how much of a relief was it when you finally, when the a good bid finally came in and you could sell it and, you know, take a rest? Well, can I, can I use hindsight, you know, into that question? Because at the time it was bittersweet, but we did not know that there would be COVID or a pandemic globally. So in hindsight, it was few, thank God, because, you know, the delays that that happened subsequent to the sale due to, due to the pandemic were, were vast. Now, for a large mining company like Zijin, it's not a major issue at all when you've got a balance sheet like that. But for, you know, Continental Gold at the time where, you know, we were going to have a small amount of cash left over at the end of construction, we would have had to go back to the market for additional funding because of the COVID related delays to the mine startup. So very happy that it happened in hindsight at the time, it was a, a difficult decision because remember we were on the cusp of flipping the switch on to, to commence production. And so it was a tough decision. Do we, do we want to enjoy the production or, or get out now and do it again with collective mining? And that's always the sort of the vulnerability of a single asset uh, development company, isn't it? You're, you're exposed in so many ways to anything that happens anywhere. A hundred percent. Agreed. Okay. Ari, you've, you've sort of based your career on mining pretty much in the exploration sector, you know, the discovery and into the development. And so I think it's fair to say you've been a keen observer of the junior gold exploration space for, for many, many years. And so uh, I want to sort of broaden the conversation now and look at some of the, the trends in the junior exploration space and some of the news over the past month. And uh, let's perhaps start off to a similar place where you left off with continental gold in terms of, you know, M&A, M&A transactions. March saw five M&A transactions or strategic investments announced in the Americas, which uh, followed on from four in January. Uh, for some reason, there weren't any in February. And for me, the, the telling thing there is that uh, premiums are starting to get paid, even for pre-resource assets. Um, and I'm gonna start with a, a sort of guessing game question for you. Have a guess at what the average premium has been over all of those transactions. I would have to guess maybe it was similar to what was paid for Connell Gold, so somewhere in the 40% range. That's actually a pretty good guess. 41% um, was the average there. 
And so what is your read on that? You know, the premiums are starting to be paid again, uh, bearing in mind that, you know, two or three years ago, we had uh, Mark Bristow um, championing the zero premium merger of equal deals, which the market seemed to really like. Now we're getting premiums again. Now we're getting premiums for exploration companies. Look, you know, this is the cyclicality, the story of the cyclicality of the mining space, right? In bear markets, when everyone should be buyers, shareholders are against that because share performance has been poor and they're worried about the dilutive nature of acquisitions. So premiums or zero premium, low premium or zero premium deals are done at that point in the cycle. When things pick up, Keep in mind too, in the bear market parts of the, of the cyclicality of the cycle, most companies high grade their mines, right? So all of a sudden when the cycle turns, they're looking at their reserve base and their growth base, growth base and say, wait a minute, we've got dropping grades and no growth. So um, they need to grow when share prices perform better, shareholders are then more supportive of making acquisitions. And that's why we've seen the premiums being paid. I suspect, in the cycle that we're in, which I believe has a few more years to go, we'll see the premium rate paid for acquisitions increase even further from this 40% range to maybe up to 100% range, which is typical for most industries, uh, you know, especially near peaks of cycles. Okay. Um, of, of the deals that we've seen recently, um, are there any particular that you think stand out as being, you know, good strategic or value generating uh, from that point of view? Look, I think they're all good, okay? I mean, it, it, it all depends on your view of the cycle, right? This is the business that we're in in mining, right? The cycles are predictable to a point. They're not short-term predictable with price swings, but they're, you know, over decade period time predictable. So if you believe that we're in an uptrend cycle, every acquisition is good if, you, if you're confident that the price of your commodity, be it copper, gold, or nickel, or whatever, is going to be higher in 12 months, 24, or, or six years down the road, right, when the cycle peaks. So they're all attractive from that point, right? But, you know, it, the best deals that are ever done are the ones that are done when, when they're out of favor. I mean, if, if you can think of the best deals that have been done in the last bunch of years, I would say uh, B2 Gold buying for cola, you know, in West Africa. I mean, everyone cried wolf when that happened, you know, saying, oh, how could you pay so, so much for that asset, $500 million? Well, the cornerstone of B2 Gold now is that asset and everyone's in love with it as a result of that risk that went against what shareholders wanted at the time. Look, I believe we're still early in the cycle, so all these acquisitions will end up proving accretive at least for a few more years, um, then the bad deals will come uh, obviously towards the end. Okay, so turning that question back to sort of collective, um, you know, as, as mentioned, Beridica took 10 years to, you know, say from start to finish um, or start to the, the start of mining. Um, with collective, is that a similar time scale that you're looking at to be able to explore there, build a resource, you know, jump through all the hoops to get towards a development uh, position? I hope not. Um, you know, so if you look at the continental analogy, you know, the cyclicality went out of favor when it was still relatively early in the, the, the discovery of the size of the deposit, you're just learning about it. Um, so, you know, and deals don't happen in the bare part of the cycle, you know, also with if you look at Continental, it was a vein system and, and vein systems take a lot of drilling and a lot more work than, than, a, than a bulk disseminated target. 
at collective mining, our focus is simple. It's porphyry deposits, right? Gold and or copper gold porphyries, you know, in called us. And so if we are fortunate enough to make a, a, a discovery and we're really excited about our prospects, um, to drill one off doesn't take very long. Look at say uh, Solaris resources right now in Ecuador, you know, they'll be at a very, hopefully a very large um, resource base uh, mineral resource estimate, you know, sometime by the middle of this year, and really only have been drilling it for one year. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and then we'll see what happens. I mean, if, if someone comes in, I, you know, if, if, if you can handle Ecuador, that's the kind of company I could see a copper producer wanting to own given its large size, decent grade and open pit potential. Well, it's certainly noticeable how over the part, you know, it's been trading since July 2020 and uh, its share price is up, what, I think 500% since then. And it's you know, a billion dollar company. In some ways that mirrors the, uh, the rise of Continental Gold's share price in the early days. Uh, within a, a year or 18 months of going public, you were a billion dollar company when the, obviously the market was very hot, you know, 2011, the peak gold price. Um, another noticeable trend that uh, you're part of uh, with Collective is that Columbia seems to be sort of coming back into fashion, back onto the Junior Explorer radar. We, we have you, Collective Mining. You have uh, Aris Gold next door buying the Marmato deposit just to the south of you. There is Phoenix Oru Gold that has the Abraki project, uh, you know, close to Baritica. Otu Gold in Segovia District. Boyeka Gold. Uh, with the Totra in Tolima, Dinaria Silver with the Zancudo project in Antioquia. Why do you think Colombia is sort of coming back in from the cold now? Look, Colombia has, for the most part, figured itself out. It went through a long curve, which you and I both lived through, on the government getting sorted out on how to advance exploration projects. There's now a matrix in place on how titles are granted. They were halted for a long time, as you know, they are open now. And so things are moving. And, and, and once you instill confidence by, by, by showing results, government showing results on the ground, the mining companies will come. I mean, it's, it's a no brainer to go to Columbia given the prospectivity and the lack of historic exploration. So I, and I think we're seeing a very positive messaging out of the um, the current AM, which is the National Mining Association, you know, of Colombia and the Ministry uh, of Mines and Energy. You know, the pandemic, Colombia, like many other countries, has, has hurt really badly. And one of the best solutions to revive the economy is resource development. So the, the carpets are rolled out, the doors are open, and it's up to the companies to now decide are they willing to put forth the effort and take the risk to go into new jurisdictions. Colombia is, is, is good. And as your last point on that, government is supportive. I mean, government, you know, the misunderstood part about Colombia, you know, has always been, oh, how can you work there with that government? I mean, I've heard this for years at Continental. I said, no, go back into the really dark years, you know, of the 80s and 90s in, in Colombia. And your challenge was not government being supportive. It was always supportive and pro-business. It was security. Right. So that's improving. I mean, your FARC peace deal made a, a big difference for the image of Colombia as well as general security. And, and now we're seeing the country seeing the results starting to come in. 
right? I think there's a long way to go still. And I think many juniors will make their way to Columbia over the next uh, coming five or 10 years. Uh, so a comment on the security. The past month has seen a, a number of operatives against uh, criminal mining and against some of the uh, um, illegal armed groups, ELN, and, and the government's been having, uh, seems to have been having quite a bit of success recently. Um, you, um, you also keep your eye very much focused on the, the copper exploration space. And if I remember correctly, you and Continental helped found uh, Cordova Minerals and pieced together, helped piece together the San Mateus property package, which um, I think they're due to produce a pre-feasibility study before the end of the year. Um, and in, its, in the broader context, you've already mentioned this company in Ecuador, Solaris Resources in the South is showing a lot of prom promise with the Varunsa project. And obviously in the North, <clears throat> there's Soul Gold who will produce a pre-feasibility study for Alpala before the year end. Um, and Soul Gold is now looking for partners to help explore some of its other properties in the country. Why do you think uh, copper exploration has taken off in Ecuador, but less so in Colombia? It's coming to Colombia. Let me, let me start with that. But if you look at Ecuador's exploration side history, there was a big push in exploration in, in Ecuador in the mid-1990s till about 2001 or two when the commodity prices you know, were really, really out of favor. And so, so there was, there's a lot of properties that had known showings you know, as a result for copper. Colombia, as you know, had nothing or not much going in it for in the exploration side of the business in the 1990s, other than Star Resources and I think a company called Conquistador Mines that had Marmado uh, way back then, but nothing else, right? So there's, there's not known showings that there aren't, there aren't people or aren't Colombians running around with, with projects saying, hey, look at, I've got copper showings and company ABC 40 years ago took samples. It doesn't exist. So you really have to start from grassroots. Okay, so that's why it hasn't taken off faster, but the prospectivity is as good as it gets and it's coming right now. And, you know, the, I think one of the great things about the middle calc belt, belt for copper particularly is the younger age of the rocks porphyry deposits that tend to form in, in the younger age of the rocks tend to be rich in both copper and gold, right? And look, at we've seen a, a wonderful uh, discovery by Anglo Gold at Quebradona, you know, in Colombia, a nice mix of, of good grade copper gold. That, that project I imagine will grow to a billion tons with, with more drilling and time. And, and they're working through the process of uh, focusing on trying to get it ready for permitting you know, in the coming uh, year. Yeah, I think Kebredona is going to have an initial mine life of something like 20, 24 years, and there's a lot more to come um, because, as you say, they haven't, uh, they're far from exhausted exploring their their, their area. Um, and Columbia's uh, just recently launched a copper exploration round and Greenfield's grassroots projects there in Cesar and uh, La Guajira, which I think uh, reflects on your comment that, you know, there hasn't been a lot of copper exploration here. There isn't a lot of showings. There's not a lot to, you know, start with. Um, unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for. Um, so I'd like to thank Ari Sussman for joining me today. Um, before we go, Ari, what, what, can we, what news can we expect out of collective mining in 2021? Uh, you'll hear a lot more from us in the coming weeks. We will be public sometime in the month of May. Uh, we are currently drilling at our San Antonio project. Uh, it just, just started hole number two. Um, and the exciting thing about that is we'll have 
be public in late mid-May and we'll have assay results in June with a steady flow of news to go from there. Really looking forward to this one. We think we have a tiger by the tail at both our San Antonio and our Guayabalas properties. Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that in a couple of months time then. Um, until next time, this is Paul Harris for the CGS podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul.